Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Last week, of course, we started our new sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at the Beatitudes. And you remember how Jesus starts His ministry by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And the good news is essentially this. That those who had been excluded, rejected, and marginalized by religious institutions and by society at large are now included in the kingdom of God because of their relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is essentially talking to his disciples, his followers, who are the poor in spirit who are the meek, who are the ones who are mourning and who are being persecuted. And he's proclaiming good news to them that they are now included. You see, they were the ones who had been excluded. And he proclaims good news. He says, you are blessed, for you are now included into the kingdom of God through a relationship with Jesus. And it's to this crowd, his followers, that Jesus then says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus uses two common metaphors that are interlinked in order to describe his followers. In verse 13, he describes them as the salt of the earth. Now, it's difficult to know exactly what characteristic of salt Jesus is referring to. It could be, uh, you know, salt was used for purifying sacrifices. It was used to preserve food. But most commonly, it was used to add seasoning, flavor to food. Jesus, of course, could have uh, had all those connotations in mind, that his followers would be the purifying, preserving, seasoning of the earth. But it's very interesting that within the New Testament, virtually always the metaphor of salt is applied to seasoning. So just to give you one example, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul writes, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So the metaphor of salt seems to be describing that quality, that attractive quality, that beautiful quality, that desirable quality within the community of followers of Jesus. That Seasoning, that flavoring that is added to life. That flavoring of Christ's likeness. That sparkle of joy and that unselfishness that is so attractive. And Jesus says to his followers, You are the salt of the earth. That is their identity. That is who they are. But then he goes on in verse 7 with this absurd proposition. 
He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Now, of course, salt, it's impossible for salt to lose its saltiness due to its chemical stability. But that's the whole point. It's absurd to think that salt could lose its saltiness because then it wouldn't be salt. And in the same way, if followers of Jesus lose their saltiness, they are no longer followers of Jesus. Jesus then, in verse 14, describes his followers as the light of the world. Now, in the Old Testament, the the metaphor of light was always used uh, to to provide direction, to enable someone who's stumbling around in the dark to, to find their way. And Jesus says in verse 14, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. How can a city on a hill not provide light in night? He goes on, neither do people light a lamp And put it under a bowl. What would be the point of that? Imagine doing that. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, the whole point of lighting a light is so that it can give light. The whole point of having salt is because it's salty. It'll be completely absurd to have a light and put it under a bowl. It'll be completely absurd to have salt that isn't salty. It'll be completely absurd to be a follower of Jesus and not be salty and not be displaying your light. Because then you'll be losing your whole identity. The question, of course, is what exactly is meant by the phrase, the salt of the earth and the light of the world? What is Jesus really talking about? What is it that is that that essence that makes our identity as followers of Jesus? Well, the answer comes in verse 16. And Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. To be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, is to live in such a way that manifests the very presence of the kingdom. To live in a way that reflects and displays the ethics of, of the kingdom. Of course, you ask, well, what are the ethics of the kingdom? Well, that's what we're going to be unpacking in the rest of our sermon series as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. But to let you know in a, in a nutshell, it's essentially living in a way that reflects the good news of the kingdom. 
The good news that those who have been excluded are now included. Jesus summarizes it in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 37 and following as loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about loving other people. Loving them sacrificially. Loving your enemy. It's about being like Jesus because Jesus fully embodies the ethics of the kingdom. A couple of points to just take note of here. Firstly, Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers, aren't being told that they have to behave in a certain way, that they have to follow the ethics of the kingdom in order to qualify, in order to gain entrance into the kingdom. No. They are already included in the kingdom. They have already been graciously included into the kingdom because of their relationship with Jesus. And that's why Jesus says in the Beatitudes, you are blessed because you're already included in the kingdom. It is because they are included in the kingdom that they need to live like kingdom people. You see, it's because they are already followers of Jesus that they need to live like Jesus. It is because they are already the salt of the earth that they need to be salty. They are already the light of the world and therefore they need to shine. Secondly, we need to take note that within the New Testament there are two words, two Greek words that are translated good. The one word simply means something is good in quality. The other word, kalos, which is used in this very verse, verse 16, means not that something is merely good in quality, but it is also captivating. It's beautiful. It's attractive. There is a goodness that attracts and there's a goodness that repels. There's a goodness that is arrogant, hard, and cold, and it repels. But then there's a goodness that is beautiful, captivating, attractive. The good deeds that we are called to do need to be attractive, captivating, and beautiful fueled by love and compassion and grace. <coughs> Thirdly, we need to take note that when we do these good deeds, people won't praise us. They'll praise God, the Father in heaven. Because ultimately, this light that, they, that is shining, that people are seeing, is not our light, but it's God's light reflecting through us. And therefore, people will praise our Father in heaven. Lastly, we need to note that 
Within the Old Testament, God is presented as the light of the world. We saw that in our opening reading in Isaiah chapter 60. But God's light was reflected firstly through the Torah, the law. But it was also reflected through the people of God, Israel. It was reflected through Israel to the rest of the nations. And therefore Israel was called the light to the nations. Israel was meant to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But Israel had lost her saltiness and had hidden her light. And therefore Jesus came. And Jesus is described quite clearly in John's Gospel as the light of the world. He fulfills the role of Israel. What Israel was meant to be and to do, Jesus does. He fulfills it in Himself. But then... Jesus says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He uniquely applies that metaphor to his followers. We, and we alone, are now the light of the world. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is our vocation. This is our calling. And we have a crucial role, an important role to play in the accomplishment of God's plans within the world. Without us, the world remains in darkness. Let me try and illustrate this. In Poland, at the dawn of communism, the communist government needed to explain and promote communism to its largely peasant population. So what they did was this. They created a new town called Nova Hatta. And only pure communists were allowed to live there. It was a perfect town where everything worked perfectly. It had beautiful houses, perfect schools, perfect parks and jobs, and so on. It was the ideal town for communist propaganda. So when anyone asked, well, what is communism all about? They would say, well, look at Novata. That is communism. That is the future. That is what we have in mind for the whole of Poland. Of course, it never worked, for obvious reasons. But the idea is good. Demonstrate the future in the midst of the present. That's the church. The church is God's Nova Hatta. The church is a demonstration of the kingdom of God in the present. So if people are going to ask, well, well, what is God like? What will society be like when Jesus returns? How should we live? We should answer, well, look at the church. For the church is the light of the world.
But so often, I have to admit that so often I get embarrassed by the church. And the church gets such a negative press that I often find myself saying the very opposite. I say to people, don't look at the church. Just, just look at Jesus. Has the church lost its saltiness? Many people regard a religious folk as judgmental, cold, arrogant know-it-alls, and hypocrites. Does that sound like Jesus? Is that who Jesus wanted us to be? But unfortunately, so often when the church does get into the press, it's because we're campaigning against something. We're campaigning against the latest movie, or against some book, or against woman, or against something else. And the perception is that the church is out of touch with modern society and is irrelevant. The perception is that Christianity doesn't add a seasoning and a flavor to life but rather takes the flavor out of life. We need to change that perception. We need to apologize where we've got it wrong in the past. We need to start displaying that wonderful flavor of God's love and compassion and acceptance for everyone. My personal experience of the local church, however, is very positive. The local church has been an extended family to me. I've been accepted unconditionally. People have gone out of their way to help me. It's a place of selfless giving and sacrificial love. It's certainly been Victoria's and my experience of ABC. Sure, we're not perfect, but God is at work within us as a community and He's making us more and more salty and more bright every day. But the challenge is we need to display this love and acceptance and compassion beyond our church and into our wider society of Abergavenny. Jesus didn't call us to be the light of the church, but to be the light of the world. One of the ways that we can display this, this light to our wider community is just the way we interact with the shop attendants, the way we order food, the way we treat the youth outside of Tesco. But more so, do you have non-Christian friends? Because if you don't, you need to get some non-Christian friends. 
And you need to invest in those relationships. You need to build authentic relationships with them. And within the context of that relationship, let God's light shine on you and reflect off you into their life. Let God's love and compassion and acceptance work through you and make a difference in their life. And add flavor to their life. When Victoria and I first arrived in Abergavenny, one of the problems we had was uh, we had no non-Christian friends, which made it very difficult to be the light to the world. One of the many blessings of having a baby is you suddenly get a whole host of new friends. And we have been investing a lot of time and energy into those friendships. And I believe that that is probably the most significant thing I'm doing for the kingdom of God at this moment. What has been really interesting is to see their reactions when they've discovered that we're Christians. Initially, they were very negative towards Christianity and quite guarded, especially the guys. But as we've invested in the friendship, as we've developed authentic relationships, it's been amazing to see how their perceptions have changed. As we spend time with them, they kind of expected us to be cold and judgmental and boring, but as we spend time with them, they suddenly started opening up far more to us and to Christianity. We've had the opportunity to share our own regrets at how the church has got it wrong. We've also been able to share how our church is trying to be more loving and accepting, trying to be more like Jesus. And they have become less negative and critical about the church and more open towards Christianity. And what I believe Jesus is saying to us this morning is that You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is our identity. That is who we are. That's our vocation. That's our calling. So don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you made us in your image. Help us to reflect your light and your image in this world. Thank you that you made us the light of the world. Help us to never shrink back from who we are. Thank you that we are not meant to be hidden. Strengthen us to live as a city on a hill. 
Thank you for your grace. May you be pleased with our good deeds offered in response to your grace that we may bring glory to you. Thank you that you called us the salt of the earth. Help us to be salty. Let us bring out the flavors of righteousness, love, and mercy in this world. Help us to be the salt of the world. That wonderful seasoning, that beautiful, captivating, attractive community. Father, you told us that we are the salt and we are the light. You told us that we are not, that we will be. Help us to remove all doubt and disbelief. And to live as the salt of the earth in the light of the world. So that you may be pleased with us. Amen.